Well, we've been in the middle of a series. We've been walking through a series here over the past several weeks, talking about life's highway. Thanks, Melvin. And uh, we'll just put that over there. And uh, as we have been walking through this series, we have likened life to a highway just like um, our roadways of today. I was traveling back from mom and dad's this this past uh, week, I'd gone up for a couple of days to spend a couple of days with them, run up and run back, and I, I was thinking about the sermon series, and I was thinking about, as I drove along, all the intersections and the detours and, and all the chaos that was going along, I, and, and I paid really close attention to the guardrails as I was going along, and it was amazing just how many there were when I started to pay attention to really what was going on. But this is what we've sort of said is that as we go along life, it's almost like a highway and we are on a journey going from point A to point B. And along that journey, there's going to be multiple opportunities for us to blow it. How many of us have blown it before? If you haven't blown it, you will. Just talk to Mike Sapp. Mike will tell you about plenty of opportunities to blow it. Right, Mike? That's right. Okay. No, I'm just playing with Mike. Mike's probably one of the most upstanding persons that I know, and so I can pick on him. But the truth is, is that as we go along life's journey, we need to have some guardrails or boundaries set up in life, because if we don't, there's a great chance that one day that we're going to look back with regrets. And I don't want to do that. I've got enough regrets as it is. You know, and God's Word tells us that His his Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so everything that we've been talking about over the past several weeks doesn't come from opinions. They don't come from possibilities, but they come from God's Word, which speaks to us truth. Now, which means that for us to learn it, you're just not going to grab it when you walk in here on Sunday mornings. But you've got to spend time in it. You've got to read it. You've got to digest it, you got to mull over it, and you got to live it out. So what we've done over the past several weeks is we've gone back to some things in life that, are, that have the ability to be uh, really difficult, life decisions, places in, in our journey that we can really make some big mistakes. And we've talked about morality, we've talked about sexuality, we've talked about relationships and friendships, and today we're going to talk about the F word. finances, money, big mistakes in money. I had a birthday this past week. Somebody said, well, how old are you? I said, another day older and a deeper in debt, Uh, you know, but that's not true. But how many of us struggle and wrestle with the issue of finances? We know without a shadow of a doubt, if there's an area that competes, that competes with the Lord Jesus Christ, on the throne of our life, it's the area of finances. Let me give you just a couple of quick thoughts here in reference to finances. You want a couple of, just a, a couple of quick thoughts in reference to Jesus and money? Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell. Jesus talked about money more than anything else except for the kingdom of God. And a third of the parables that Jesus taught in reference in some way or, in some way or point about Money, And you wonder, my, why does the Bible speak so much to the issue of money? And it's because there's a competition that is going on for your heart. And it's between God and money. See, 
in God or what I have in my back pocket. Now, you may not think that much about it early on in life because, you know, uh, uh, this is the deal. As long as you got a little bit of money in the bank and as long as the bills are paid, you and God are good. But what happens when there is no money in the bank? And what happens when the bills aren't just not paid, but what happens when they're late? Where's your trust at that point in time? Jesus didn't mince any words. He didn't dance around the subject, but he talked about it, and he talked about it multitudes of times. And we want to look today. We want to start off in the New Testament. I want to take you back to a passage of Scripture we've talked about before. It's in the book of Matthew. You can turn there to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 6, and we're going to look at that. And then in just a little bit later, what we're going to do is we're going to move over to the Old Testament in, in the book of 1 Chronicles. And I want to show you what David had to say in reference to money because I think it's really, really important. Now, let me just say, people inside the church get really nervous when you start talking about money. No sense to get nervous. It's a great opportunity for us to learn something today because I promise you that God wants to speak something into your heart that is not only beneficial, beneficial, but it's something that's very, very helpful if you're willing to listen. You can walk out of here today and not pick anything up that we're going to say, and I promise you, listen. you got to listen to what God's Word says because it says something that's, that's for us because God is for us, and he, he, he wants something great for us. God doesn't want your money. He wants your hearts. So let me read to you what it says here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, and I want you to, to read along with me today. There in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, and, and this is what it says. No one can serve two masters. In a kingdom, how many thrones are there? There's one throne. There's one throne and there's one place for one king. Who is on the throne of your life? He goes on to say, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. And now he begins to clarify what he's talking about. He says, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. When it comes to the one that you trust, when it comes to the one that you're submitted to, it's either going to be God or money. You're going to have an allegiance to one, but it can't be both cannot be both. God wants to be number one. He desires to be number one and have our undivided attention because he knows that our stuff can be such a distraction for us. Anybody want to raise a hand? How much time do you spend thinking about your stuff versus God's stuff? And we wonder why the Bible has so much to say about money. We are really excited to be able to offer financial peace for those of you that are willing to take that step. Now, this is what you'll find in reference to money. There are spenders and there are savers. Now, Dave Ramsey would say this. What would he say, Kevin? There are who and who's, nerds and free spirits. How many nerds do we have in the building today, which might be considered savers? How many free spirits do we have in the building today? Lots of free spirits. Do not raise your spouse's hand. That is not good. That is not good. Listen, there are two things that causes a fight in the home. One is sex, the other is money. And you may have just caused a huge fight, okay? 
Let's just be practical and let's be honest. Now, which one of those sounds like it's the most godly? Now, think about it. It has to be the saver, right? The preparer. The one that's always trying to prepare for the what-ifs. The what-if. What if, what if there's an emergency? What if I get sick? What if the tire goes flat? The air conditioner goes out? What if I lose my job or something important comes up? Some of you guys are feeling really good right now. But here's the issue. Regardless of what title you carry, whether it be spender, saver, nerd, or free, or free spirit, there's a big issue when the motivation, regardless of which side you stand on, there's a disaster that's waiting to happen if our motivating factor is, is greed. Let me give you a definition for greed. You can write this down. Greed, an intense selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, food. <laughs> Jesus wasn't silent about the subject of greed because he knew the dangers. But not only because he knew the dangers, but because he also knew the consequences surrounding and listen, if we were to give a definition of greed based on the teachings of Jesus, this might be what we might say today. Greed is the belief that it, greed is the belief that it, everything, whatever it may be, is for me. It's mine. So if we were to take the teachings of Jesus and we were to sort of summarize them, we might come up with that definition. Greed is the belief that it, whatever it may be, is for me and it's mine. It doesn't matter how much we have or we don't have, but greed is an attitude that says, whatever I have, it's mine and you just better leave it alone. I can use it however I want, whenever I want. I can spend it now or I can save it later. But greed really isn't about money. Because all, it, all of it flows back to our hearts. And the one thing that competes for our hearts is money and stuff. And what we're going to talk about today isn't something that's necessarily new, but it's something that we've talked about several times over the years as we've met. But here's the question, and this is the question we want to be able to answer. If greed is something that I struggle with, how do I break it? If greed is something that I wrestle with, how do I break the power of greed? If greed is an issue that I'm, I'm wrestling, how do I address this issue as I travel down life's highway so that greed doesn't destroy me? And I want you to write down these three words. We've used them before. These are not new, but I want you to write these three words down really quickly. Give, save, and live. And if I were to have three jars up here right now, one would say give, one would say save, and the other would say live. And that's pretty simple. It's about as simple as it can get. You want to simplify finances, simplify them in those terms. Give, save, and live. Before we do anything, it's important that we determine where everything comes from to begin with. I want you to turn over now to the Old Testament, and I want to look at a passage of Scripture in the book of First Chronicles, and I want to read to you today um, some words that David himself spoke. Let me sort of set things up for you. David is king. David is experiencing a tremendous amount of peace. The nation of Israel is now um, the envy of all the other nations. There's prosperity in the land. David has accumulated a tremendous amount, a tremendous amount of wealth and resources. 
And he's got this plan now that he wants to build the temple, but God is not going to allow him to build the temple because he was a warrior, because he had shed blood. But that didn't stop David from planning. That didn't stop David from, from continuing to move ahead. He, he began to work, and he worked hard because he knew that God was going to allow his son Solomon, uh, who would be the next king, to be able to build that. So David, uh, in his time leading up to building the temple, what he does is he gathers, he begins gathering resources and he begins gathering people. And he makes a comment about that, that everything that he has, he's going to use it for the building of the temple. He begins to talk to the leadership and he begins to, to, to talk to them about the importance of giving. And, and so you've got this big meeting that takes place. And, and in the midst of this, the people become very excited about what's going on. And, and David has something to say today that is so important to us. And I want to read to you what David says in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 10. And this is what it says, and I read to you. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, all of those that were gathered there at that time. And this is what he said. O Lord, the God of our ancestors Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Look at what he says in verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. <laughs> Let me read that for you again. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. God, everything that we have is it's about you. Everything that we have is ultimately all about you and from you. And look at what he says. Everything... What is everything? Is everything some? Is everything a little bit? Is everything most? Everything is everything. I want you to think in your life what everything is. What is everything? It's everything. Everything, he says, in the heavens and on earth is yours. It's yours. Everything that you've got your name written on, everything that you've, you have a signed deed to, every, every little piece of paper that you have, whose is it? It's God's. Everything that's on the heavens and in earth is yours. Everything. Everything is yours to begin with. And then he comes back and he says, oh, Lord, and this is your kingdom. It's not my kingdom. Here's David, the king. And he said, Lord, this, man, this isn't my kingdom. This is your kingdom. Your kingdom. And we adore you as the one who is over all things. And here's David speaking this while he's sitting on the throne. Lord, you are, you are the real king over the heavens and the earth. And wealth and honor, he says in verse 12, come from you alone for you rule over everything. Everything belongs to you and everything is from you. And then he goes on to say, power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. But David, you're king. You're large and in charge. You're the one sitting on the throne. Yeah, but my heavenly father is the one that put me there. My heavenly father is the one that gave me those abilities. My heavenly father is the one that gave me those talents. My heavenly father is the one who equipped me. And everything that I have and everything that I own and all of my success is because of God. And here's the driving force behind all of this. Honor God with everything. 
Honor God with everything. Why? Because everything comes from him. That's why. Honor God with everything because everything comes from him. Because I don't want to be owned by my stuff. I'm going to recognize God, where it comes from, and who gave it. And I'm going to give it first. God, I'm going to give to you. You know, I said it earlier so many times when we talk about finances, we think God wants something from us, but God doesn't want something from us. He wants something for us because he knows there is a competition for our hearts. And you might be thinking, well, listen, man, giving, giving first just doesn't make any sense because what happens if I lose my job or what happens if I can't pay my bills? Let me tell you what giving first is a demonstration of. Write these down. Giving first is a demonstration that we believe that God is the owner of everything. And the habit of giving is recognition and a reminder that God has given to us first. Everything that we have comes from him. Second of all, write this down. When we give first as a demonstration of faithfulness and to what we say that we believe, this sort of puts another spin on that thought. Put your money where your mouth is. I read some statistics and I... I was really taken back when I read the statistics because of the way we do things at, at Heritage. I, I don't know who gives what. Sometimes I've had pastors challenge me with that in the past. Sometimes I think that would be really good, and other times I think I'm not mature enough to handle that. But I want you to listen to some of these statistics, some of the latest statistics that came out in reference to giving and tithing. I thought, you got to be kidding me. 247 million people who are Americans, say that they're believers. 99 of those million say that they go to church on a regular basis. And this is what blew me away. Yet only 1.5 million say that they tithe. I, I was astounded by that. I, what kind of ministry could be going on if those of us that called ourselves believers actually lived out our faith, not just on Sundays, but seven days a week, what would it look like? And you know the one reason they said that most people don't tithe? Because of the length of debt that they're in. 28% of people who tithe today, they say, are debt-free. They say that now the believers today give less per capita than during the Great Depression. Mm. Unbelievable. There's a battle that's going on between our pocketbook and our hearts. See, I don't know if that's you or not. I'm just telling you what the stats say. I'm telling you what Jesus had to say. Now, there's some other reasons that people might give, but they're for the wrong reason, like, you can write these down, pride, look at me, look at what I'm doing, guilt, greed, pressure, power, but the right reason we give is because we want to honor God. We want to recognize that everything that we have comes from Him. So if we're going to teach, give, save, and live, we want to give first. Why? Because we want to recognize that, God, everything that we have comes from you. Because you've given us first, God, we want to honor you with the first fruits of what we have. Give, save, and live. You know, as a father, 
As a father of three teenagers, why in the world would it be important for me to be able to teach my kids and talk to my kids on a regular basis about, about giving, saving, and living on what's left? I'm going to tell you why. Because we're one generation away. One generation away from depravity. One generation away from a whole group of people saying, everything that I have is mine, it's not God's. I want them to honor God first with their first fruits. Very important. Why would I want to teach and model for my kids the attitude of giving, saving, and living? Because when we give, it breaks the chains of greed that can so easily entangle us. And the attitude and the practice is very much key to financial independence and freedom. But listen, it's not something that's overnight. It's not just a poof and all of it's, it's all done. But it's a lifelong commitment of habitual trying and doing everything possible to put God first in everything that we do. But every since, but since we're one step away from financial disaster, do you believe that? We're one step away, and it might be your fault, and it might be somebody else's fault. And the Bible tells us that sometimes it falls on the good and the bad. That's just the reality. But what we need to do is to try to set up some financial boundaries and guardrails to keep us from being hurt or destroyed as we travel along the highway. So let's go back to what Jesus had to say very quickly there in Matthew chapter 6. And let me read verse 24 to you again. And then I want to move down to verse 31. Verse 24 again says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted, and that's a key word, to one and despise the other. In other words, you cannot be devoted to both God and your stuff. Let me tell you the best way to find out where you sit right now. Take out your checkbook. Take out your calendar. See where you spend your money. See where you spend your time. That'll tell you really quickly where your priorities are. Take out your checkbook. Take out your calendar. And see what fills those areas. Because that'll tell us really quickly where our priorities are. Who is the, are you being a good steward of the resources that God has given us? Not just your talents, but also your time, your money and your stuff. You cannot serve or be devoted both God and money. And a little bit later, this is what Jesus would say there in verse 31. So do not worry about these things saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? And what shall we wear? Now, I don't know what you may be wrestling with. I don't know what you may be worrying about these days. But how many of us worry? How many of us get anxious about certain things? See, there's some other things we can probably put in there. We can add some things like where will I live? What will I drive? Where will I work? It's temporary stuff. That's what it is. It's It's temporary. And he goes on to say that those things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. In other words, those are things that the pagans or the unbelievers happen to be consumed with. Those are the things that, that those who don't believe, that's what they think about. That's what they're distracted by. It's what overwhelms them. And when we worry about those things which are temporary, those things which are, which are um, distracting, what ends up happening is that we end up leaving, living like pagans even though we say that we're believers and followers of Christ. Why is that? 
What we're saying with our actions when we worry is that God isn't powerful enough to handle the situation that I'm involved in. So we become consumed and distracted by all those other things that are temporary. And then what Jesus says next is really, really important. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. In other words, all those things that you have a tendency to worry about, those things that seem to consume us, you got them. I've got them. I've wrestled with them. All those things, all those things, when we worry, this is what we're thinking. We're thinking either God doesn't know what our needs are, we doubt whether God knows, or whether God even cares. When we worry, what we're saying as believers is that I don't know if God knows what our needs might be, and I'm not really sure if God cares. And so you need to write this down right now because you need to nail this down. Man, you need to shore this up today in your life. Write it down. God knows your name, and he knows what you're going through in the middle of your life, and he cares. Shore it up now. Shore that up now. God knows your name. He knows the struggle that you're walking through, and he knows exactly what you need. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Matthew chapter 10, verse 30, and the very hairs on my head are numbered. And once we settle that God knows and God cares, only then can the doubts that we sometimes have that seem to linger around, can they be put and dispelled. But you got to stand because I'm promising you, see, those feelings will come. Those doubts will come when you go, you know, I wonder if God, you can't stand on your feelings, people. You got to stand on the truth. And you got to remind yourself, God knows exactly where I am right now. He knows exactly the situation that I'm in right now. And God cares. That settles it. God's word says it. I believe it. And that settles it. You got to shore that up because God knows and he cares. Say that with me. God knows and he cares. Some of you needed to be reminded of that today because you may be at a situation that you're wondering whether God knows and whether or not God cares. Do you believe it? Because when we do, we can trust him. Then Jesus goes on to say in verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else. What's the top priority in your life? Seek first the kingdom of God above all else. What are the things that are distracting you? What are the things that maybe you have become preoccupied with that really don't matter much at all and stuff that you can't take with you? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, the things of God, his will and his purpose. Put him first on the list of priorities. And he says, and live righteously or live right. Righteous means right living. And then he goes on to say, and he will give you what? What does he say he'll give you? Everything. All the stuff that you have a tendency to worry about, if you seek him first, he's going to bless you with it, John. He's going to bless you with it, Terry, and Bill, and Colt, 
All the things that we wrestle with, when we seek God first, he has a way of filling those gaps. He will give those things to us, and this is a promise. The question is, who will be first in our life? Who will we put first? Give, save, because there's going to be a rainy day. There'll be a rainy day. Meredith had, I went out the other day and boom, 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 boom. What in the world is going on? And it really wasn't that bad to start off with. I could hear it, but I didn't know what it was. Next time I got in the vehicle, boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, what in the world? So I got out and I thought, you got to be kidding me. These are brand new tires. It's got a big bubble on it. I don't know when the last time you put a pair of tires on a car, but you can't just put one tire on a car. Or a car. You know, you got to put at least two. You got to save for a rainy day because you never, win a, never know when a, a couple of hundred dollar expenditures is right around the corner, especially when you got teenagers, right? You got to save for a rainy day. Give, listen, recognize that everything that we have comes from the Lord and give to Him first. Save because there will be a rainy day and live on what's left. There's some of you here that practice that, and you've practiced it over the long haul, and God is blessing you as a result of that. There's others of you, man, listen, you struggle because on the live side, you've got the percentages way up. It might be 90, 100%, and over here on saving, you don't even have any savings. What are you going to do when the rating day comes? I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to use a credit card, right? And then what you're going to do is you're going to pay a minimum balance. Oh, it's just $18 a month for the next 60 years. But how many times does a seeking after part, seeking after God, only happen when the bottom falls out? Because that's the time that we're most willing to stop and to listen because we don't have any other place to turn. Because we're now all of a sudden, when the bottom falls out, all of a sudden we're ready. We're willing to listen to what God's word has to say in reference to finances. And all of a sudden, because we don't have any other place to go, all of a sudden you're ready to begin to make some adjustments. And it's amazing that when we begin to listen to God and we begin to, to reprioritize our lives and to reorder things, how life begins to change. But when your priorities change, it's amazing. When your focus changes, it's amazing how other parts begin to change as well. Your finances, your financial circumstances begin to change. And all of a sudden, you find yourself wanting to give. And all of a sudden, you find yourself with a little bit extra to be able to save. And all of a sudden, you find yourself not spending as much because you become more and more content with what you have. Man, it's hard when the neighbor drives up in a brand new truck. Can I tell you what not to do? Don't start looking online. Don't start driving by and paying attention to the cars in the parking lot. Don't stop and ask how much one is. Because it'll get you in trouble, won't it? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, to get you in trouble. You didn't buy a truck this week, did you? Hope not. <laughs> For car dealers in here, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> That's like going shopping at Publix and being hung- hungry, I guess, you know, or going to the store. It's something you're not supposed to do. We make a lot of dumb purchases because of our lack of contentment with what God has provided for us. How much better off would life be if we were seeking after him first and putting him first? How much easier life would be if we had room to spare every week instead of struggling just to try to make ends meet? Makes you just want to take a breath, doesn't it? Some of you might even need to go back and take care of some debts that you've, you've passed over on the side. Some of you might need to be people of integrity and shore up some things in the past that you've let go. How can we be a believer and a follower of Christ and allow that to happen? How can we be a person who is on display for the world to see and yet be afraid to walk in the communities that we live because we've treated not only our finances wrong, but we've cheated other people? That's a whole other thing. And you're saying to me, Sid, that sounds really good. But you have no idea where I am financially. You know, you, know, you have no idea how far in the hole that we are. And the only thing I have to say is every journey begins with a step. Every journey begins with a step. Every road to financial peace and recovery begins with a step. And as bad as things may be and as dark and as hopeless as it may seem, there is hope. And there's some people in this room that if I were to ask them to stand up and give a testimony, they'll tell you of how dark it was. They'll tell you of how they felt hopeless. But all of a sudden, they begin to to seek after the Lord first, and they begin to rearrange their priorities. And all of a sudden, they not only see a light at the end of the tunnel, they see things for as God would have them to see them. And life is so much better. And isn't that what you want? I know that's what you want, and that's what I want for you because God doesn't want your money. He wants our hearts. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. And there is no better day than today, than right now, for you to say no more. God, your kingdom first, my kingdom second. I will seek to give and to honor you with first fruits because I believe that everything that I have is from you, only because of you, everything that I have. I will give and I will save because I recognize that there is going to be somewhere along the line a rainy day and I'm going to have to have something that I didn't know or plan that I was going to have to have. I'm going to have to have that and I'm going to live on the rest. And when we live the way God designed us to live and we set our priorities the way he would have us to set them, God things begin to happen when we order our lives around God's principles. Because you can have freedom and you can have peace. Boy, y'all are so quiet today. You can't have it. You can experience it. God doesn't need your money. He already owns everything. He just wants our hearts. And when we put him first and we set our priorities in place, it's amazing the things that happen. 
And I want you to write this down as we begin to close out. It's the last thing. Giving is first because giving is a guardrail or a boundary that protects us from greed. You want to talk about some potholes in life's highway? That's what greed is. Greed is like a pothole in life's highway. Worshiping stuff not only hinders our earthly relationships, but also the most important relationship of all. So what's at stake? Everything's at stake. I wonder what it would be like to have a body of believers that actually tithed, that actually said that the value wasn't how many times that they attended church, that the value wasn't how much they gave, but you were seeking after God every day. So you can give a lot in your heart and not be right. You can give for the wrong motives. But I wonder what it would be like. You guys have been awesome the past 10 years. You, you, have, you, have, you have been so gracious in so many different ways. I mean, anytime that we have a special offering, you guys, it seems like you always surpass whatever it is. And what a blessing that is. But what would it be like if, if churches and if believers around the world, Meredith figured that percentage up, 20, 247 million, 1.5 million. What is that percentage? Come on, baby, you just got to be fast. <laughs> What's that percentage, somebody that's smart? How, what is it, baby? I don't know. 247 million people and 1.5 million tithe. Somebody's trying to figure that out. I can tell you this, it ain't a lot. How much? Who? 0.4%. Wow. What does that say for the rest? There's some realignments that need to take place. There's some reprioritization that needs to take place. What really needs to take place is we learn to honor God with the first fruits. I was so blessed the other day when Abby's had a job now for, for, I don't know, a year or two, and she's got her three little pots that she sets up, and she was asking me, okay, Dad, so how much is this percentage that, I, that I'm, I'm supposed to give to the Lord this week? And I thought, baby, I want you to always remember that. Always remember that, because if you put God first in everything that you do, you'll be amazed at the blessings that you'll receive. I want to pray over you today because I know today is hard. But if there's anything you walk out of here, I want you to remember this right here. Number one, you need to honor God with everything and recognize where everything you have comes from. I want you to remember the words of David in 1 Chronicles. The second thing I want you to walk out of here is the pattern of give, save, and live. Because that pattern of percentages whether you start with 5% in 
in giving or whether you start with whatever it is. But listen, if you want to take it from a, just a baseline 10% give, 10% save, and live on the rest, I'd love, to, I'd love for you to be able to do even more and rearrange those because we don't need 80% to live on. But what would it be like if we were to realign our lives and we were to seek after the things of the Lord? Some of the things that we feel like we have to have really wouldn't matter that much. I want to pray for you today. And then after that, we want to be able to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a, as a church family. Would you bow with me? Father, what a, what a blessing it is for us to be able to come and to talk about these issues that are so important to you. To talk about living by percentages. I know that this falls at different places for different people based on where they are right now. And all I'm asking, God, is that you give us wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard. I wouldn't be surprised if what we've talked about today has stirred some controversy in people's hearts. Lord, that's not the desire. But the point of today was, God, what does your word have to say and how do we seek to reprioritize our lives and so that we live by your plan and your purpose, not ours? God, I want you to have our undivided attention. I just happen to know the financial pains and struggles and how easy it is for people to be overwhelmed. So give us some insight, God, to know what to do and the courage to be able to do it. To learn what it's like to be able to trust you and to recognize that everything that we have is from you. That as a church, God, that, that we would live by your principles. And Father, that we would be extraordinary stewards of the resources that you have given us so that we can be the church family that you've called us to be. God, I think about all the things that are, that are possible when your people come and, and just as David and they, they lay it on the line and say, God, it's all yours. It's all yours. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. You don't need a thing I have except my heart. And God, I want to give it to you. For the person today that is that's dealing with financial struggles, even today, Father, I pray that they may even take a bold step to say, I want to go to financial peace, and I'd love to sit down with a group of people that are, that are like-minded and, and wanting to reprioritize and, and learn some more about finances. That even today, before they leave this place, they would see Mark or they would sign up online and make that bold step. For the person that may be here that do not have a personal relationship with you, Father, this is what I want them to know, that Jesus Christ came and that he gave his life, that he sacrificed his life so that we didn't have to live in bondage of sin and debt any longer. Jesus paid that debt on Calvary, that debt that could not be paid so that we could live in freedom. And for the person that's here today and feeling so hopeless and feeling at a place of despair, God, I pray that they would understand the purpose of why you came, that you came to give us freedom. May we not refuse that gift that's given freely 
that you demonstrated of your love, that while we were still in sin, you gave your life for us. And the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if there's someone here today that is, that is not a believer and a follower of Jesus, even today may they cry out to you and say, Jesus, I want to confess my sins. Man, I've made a mess of my life. Jesus, I want to give my life to you. I just don't want to give my life to you. I want to give my all to you. And I want to follow you. And if that's you today, I pray that you'll see me at some point or see one of our overseers at some point before you leave this place today. Father, thank you for your word and for the significance of what it means, for the opportunity you have that you've given us your word to be able to live by. May we be reminded as we walk along this journey that, God, you've given us your word so that we didn't have to fall into the potholes or get too close to the edge. But, God, that we can set up some boundaries in our lives and some guardrails so that we can live life and live it in freedom and joy and peace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.